0: Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Jim McCray and I am chatting with director Tygo Sullivan ahead of the release of his award-winning film To the Moon. So thank you so much for chatting with us.
1: No problem, lovely to be here.
0: I know one thing a lot of filmmakers, this is again, because we're Film Ireland, we love getting into the nuts and bolts of how people get to make their films, and a big part of that is money. Because I noticed there was a lot of beautiful footage that had to be licensed. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if you could um just take me through, uh, how this project started life and um how you got the funding first. But like it's Arts Council Screen Ireland. There was a third, if a French co-production, or uh,
1: yeah, Arte. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny. Like you can't. You do always need some money to make most films, um, and a lot of uh, people's efforts goes into convincing people that have money that they need to give you money to make the film that you want to make. Um, but in this case, it was. It was this my fourth, third feature, um, and I've made any number of shorts on top of it as well, and I've helped people get films funded as well in the past so i've kind of been through the financing mill a few times and strangely enough this was probably the most straightforward film i've ever undertaken in terms of getting it financed um one thing that absolutely didn't happen during the process of getting this film financed was anybody saying the moon i hate the moon (laughs) You know, nobody says that. Like in in a way, I think that was a big help in terms of getting it finances because it's such an easy pitch. It's an incredibly simple frame for a film. It's just the moon and moonlight and myths and stories and everything that goes with the moon, and it kind of captures the imagination. So, on the the first instance was to develop it with some money from Screen Ireland and as people are hopefully are aware Screen Ireland is very, has a, a very strong development strand, um, which gives you enough money to go away, to spend the time that developing a film needs and maybe shoot some stuff and cut a trailer and write it up and come back to them with something complete in terms of a treatment and a plan for making the film. So that took, I took about a year to do that. And I really figured the film out in that time whilst working on other stuff at the same time. Um, so by the time I came back to them, I was also, I went to the Arts Council, um, who have a scheme called Open Call, which is an unusual scheme for them, in that it's not specific to an art form or a, genre or a particular discipline. Uh, Theatre makers, dancers, insula- you know, visual artists can apply for Open Call. They fund one uh, project a year, at least they did when I was going for it. Um, and it can be of any, and it's, it, the idea is that it should be work that's, really good, and that appeals to as broad of an audience as possible. Um, and I kind of felt that a film about the moon, you know, its universal appeal might fit with that. So I put it into them, I went back to Screen Ireland, and I also spoke to, uh, uh, I was in Toronto uh, for the for Hot Docs, um, and I spoke to a commissioning editor there from Arte called Rasha Salty. Um, and she immediately got the film as well. So, yeah, it was... Oh, and I shouldn't forget our friends in Finland, Ule, um, who supported, have shown work of mine in the past. They've got a really strong documentary strand um, of obscuro documentaries, um, and I got a small bit of money from them as well. So between one thing and another, it all added up to enough money to make the film, especially when you count for the Section 481 tax credit that kicks in at a certain level um, so um yeah like I mean not to say that it was easy nothing's ever easy and you have to really know the film that you want to make and really have it explained and legible to anybody that's making a decision but certainly any tiny meeting I had any pr- any kind of pitching of the film I felt I was pushing an open door because this is a film that people could already see in their heads I thought this when I told them a little about it.
0: And it's very unique as well, like the, the mood and the tone and um, very kind of distinct and, and emotive as well. So there's a lot of um, old footage in there from all over the world. It's amazing. And then you worked with cinematographers to get original footage mm. from all five continents. And um, just tell me a little bit. So you were saying you were working on it from a treatment point of view um so did you know all the old footage that you had before like that you wanted to use for mm. it and and negotiating the rights to stuff like that can be really really tricky like you know
1: yeah things
0: like who who like uh, something that is from the 1940s like who even has the rights is it someone's son <laughs> or...
1: yeah no, i know well yeah it's somebody's estate probably um um yeah like just to take the last part of the question first uh, i worked with a, a producer called claire strong who came onto the project uh once i was up and running in terms of the film was financed and um it was clear this was a pretty large undertaking so claire had great experience working as an archive producer and she had worked as a producer on the farthest so you know she she knew what she was doing that's what the archive producer does and does brilliantly in the case of Claire where you can if you find something um, somebody has to do the work then of figuring out where it came from you know bear in mind now some stuff would come directly from film archives and everybody knows who owns it because it's the people who mind it are the people who own who either mind the rights as well or own it themselves Um, but then if you pull some obscurity out of nowhere Claire's job is then to trace that back um, and it can become, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, I might decide I just, oh, today I like this shot and it ends up in a cut. And then she does a ton of work uh, to figure out how much it might cost, who you have to pay, where do you get the license? Is it a license forever or is it licensed license for a limited amount of time? And how does that fit in with our, our budget? Um, and then a week later, I'll go, oh, no, that shot, I cut that.
0: Uh, oh no. oh
1: like that it happens and but yeah. equally it could go the other way around you know she comes back to me and says you know that we've we found the person who owns that and they're looking for gazillions, so I'll quietly push it out of the film and um, and say nothing of it ever again but the, neither of those two things was common the you know her telling me it was too expensive or me deciding i didn't want it anymore most of the time there was you know it was a very close collaboration um, in terms of of knowing what we could work with, uh, and to make work within a finite budget, you know that was a, a really important thing. What was the other part of that question?
0: Um, it was oh yeah, so actually it was about the the treatment. Right. So did you when you kind of went look, I'm going to I'm going to put this together. It's going to be deeply atmospheric, mood driven. These are all the things that I want. Like, did you know exactly where you were going to get the footage first, or was it were you feeling it out? Because I presume with something like this, mood and tone is so important and you might put something in and it, it mightn't feel the way that you thought it might feel beforehand or did it? Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, the what I did, what the time making, the time writing the treatment um, really helped with was to kind of get a structure of the film and a, and a set of themes that I wanted to explore. Um, so like taking my cue from the moon itself. Like I broke the film into, uh, into phases, um, each associated particular phase of the moon. And then I had all these different themes because the whole point of the film is that the moon is this unique canvas for human, human imagination. But anything can be written onto that canvas. It can be love, it can be death, it can be rebirth, it can be the supernatural. So that multiplicity is the whole point. But unless you have some kind of schema to, to work through that, then it's just going to become a big soup. So the making putting that framework in place really helped me then see how I could structure the film, but without knowing at that point what particular shots, what particular material would fill out the framework. That's, I suppose, the, the key thing for me, is to start with some kind of a framework, but then have total freedom to work, operate within that. You know, it's no more than if you if anybody writes poetry. You know, if you if you decide you're going to write a sonnet, there's a really strict kind of meter and there's a strict st- structure that you have to adhere to. And sometimes that's actually more that li- more liberating than a total anything goes free verse. You know, because you you can work within a form. So in my case, the the structure of the lunar phases allowed me to then have total freedom to, to, here's my love section, here's my supernatural section, but anything goes within that. And I and my job is to create coherent passages and cinematic elements within that. Um, but no, I couldn't have known at that point like if, what material was going to go in, like the, the finding of the material was such a huge undertaking. Um, it was a lot that I found myself, there was a lot that Jack Lunt, the, the assistant editor found himself. Um, We were constantly on the lookout for interesting things and watching all sorts of obscure films late at night. Um, But then a, a large part of that work was also done by archive researchers around the world who had particular expertise that we didn't have. You know, I know nothing about Estonian film. I know absolutely nothing about obscure Estonian rarities, such as the one that ended up in the film. Um, and that needs people in talent, in wherever else, uh, who can bring themselves and their own knowledge and expertise and creativity to the film, which is very much what all whole film is about, is nurturing a space where people could bring their own uh, input to, uh, whether that as poets, as musicians, as archive researchers, as cinematographers. You know, I, I did really want to encourage a sharedness in the making of the film, reflect the sharedness that is the subject of the film because ultimately is the moon is something that we all share
0: and very um and again like it it, there's a lovely flow to the process when you're watching it you know Mm. like it's it's very um like i was saying that it's very it's so immersive how important it is to see it on the big screen and to have the speakers and you know and have it be like a communal experience as well Mm um so did you is is it a coincidence that it's finished now or did you hold off a little bit to release it
1: yeah we held we held back the release until uh until now um having had the world premiere of the film in september 2020 in venice um which was during that time during the pandemic when things were opening up again and Venice was one of the first festivals to kind of go back to um, in-person screenings and that was kind of special because every filmmaker wants their work to be seen on the big screen inevitably um, and I'm no different. I think this particular film is slightly different in that the whole subject of the film is the, this sort of shared experience of looking at the moon. And in a way, the moon is kind of an analogue or a, a metaphor for the cinema screen. And in the same way that, that we look at the moon together, there's something wonderful about looking at the cinema screen with somebody um, rather than watching at home on your own. Um, So, yeah, like an in-person cinema screening is, is kind of what I held out for and what we all wanted for the film. Um, so we're lucky enough now to have gotten to a point where we can put it out in the cinema um and yeah I'm kind of looking forward to to people being able to see it in that way so yeah
0: and actually one of the things that worked incredibly well was the music I'm just wondering Mm. if you could talk a little bit about that because it's really powerful because again there's so many disjointed elements Mm. that you'd that it's it's sort of it it bonds together so well that's as as a viewer that that's and it's sort of surprising because like there's some again like very sometimes really strange shots of of these these uh, films from around the world but like beautifully interspersed and then you know this this beautiful um, poem or or some, some mm. dialogue over it and then but but it works so well and i do think definitely the sound has a huge part to play in that because it kind of mm. takes you on a journey
1: yeah um i mean that's that's the job you know what i mean like in a way uh it would be quite easy in one way to lean really heavily on the work of other people um and to just take you know really amazing films from japan in 1921 to um to Russia in 1964 and just drawn all these great Iranian cinema from the 70s and just drawn all these clips and kind of lean on that. I mean for me I think that's that's only the beginning is to to access this material. The the real trick or the artistry I suppose is the weaving of that together into something that stands alone. Um, so that you're not just looking at a particular image or shot, you're looking at it in the context of the shots around it, but also the music underneath it, but also the poem or the scrap of text that might draw meaning out of it. And I suppose that's, yeah, it's, it, that's that's where the artistry is. And to create something that is a single thing in and of itself, which this film is. You know, when, sometimes I, I, I teach, um, I've been film artist in residence in UCC, for this year and um so i've had to explain my practice from scratch a few times and when i'm talking about working with archive uh one thing that the young people really get is when i say that it's you know if you look at the history of music music is far more advanced to my mind in terms of technology and artistry than, than, than film when it comes to working with existing material. I give the entire genre of hip hop from the late 80s through to the present moment where it is about creating something new and coherent and utterly original and, and fresh from existing uh, existing music. Um, and in a way, this I suppose, there are lots of filmmakers who, who do really interesting work But I think that that way of explaining it is kind of a good way of explaining what I feel that my job is. You know, you're not just leaning on other people's work. You're taking existing cultural materials and references and weaving something entirely new, You hope, out of that. So, and that includes all the elements that go into film. So text, music, dialogue, films, everything, sound.
0: You do work with um, a kind of team of people. But when this was just a, a kind of earworm and you were planning it out would you you know be kind of watching things and and feeling for inspiration would you be kind of up late at night on wikipedia like what would be your process for finding you mean
1: looking research films yeah looking up yeah i mean i think staying once you once you once this film kind of took hold in my brain as something to do um there's nothing better than sitting up late by the fire with an iPad typing the word moon followed by whatever you like into the internet. You know what I mean? And just going down rabbit holes, whether it's, you know, central European folklore or um, old Russian movies or yeah, just everything and anything, poetry, you know, um, text, literature, anything you can find really. It's just, it's so, it's the the late night internet researchers dream really um so yeah that was kind of a huge starting point and it kind of didn't stop like it continued like deep into the edit i was still kind of delving around scanning around looking for things because you really became part of my life for a long time um but
0: yeah what would have been some of your favorite little finds that you Mm.
1: That made it into the film or otherwise, or
0: either like sometimes you have to kill your darlings. What would be some of your favorite? <laughs>
1: um, there is, um, there is a point just for the kind of serendipity of it. Um, there is, I was in Amsterdam at IDFA, you know, the, the documentary festival there, um, a couple of years ago, and I just went into this particular English language bookshop, um, which I'd never seen before, and I was just having a good snoop because I love bookshops. Um, and I came across an anthology of uh, Native American poetry. And I just thought, mm, that looks good. Um, it's kind of thing you pick up in a bookshop. And just flicking through it then, I saw that there was a poem called Blood Moon Triptych um, by a woman called Jennifer Elise, follow you up with the surname, um, and uh, and read that poem. And it was really, it just really jumped out to me. And I took a picture of it on my phone and didn't buy the book cheapo that I am <laughs> um, I did subsequently Josephine uh, Elise Forrester um, Justine Elise Forrester uh, and uh, and it just really haunted me and it stuck with me um, and in the end I began the film with that poem and ended the film with that poem um, having sought and, and gotten her, her permission um, to do so uh, and I just thought there's something just so lovely about finding a text at random in a bookshop in a foreign city um, and it just coming out from all the pages in all the books in all the bookshops in all the cities you know to just come across that and have it find you that way is just kind of old-fashioned magical you know um, so that would be one and um, yeah I think that's kind of my favorite
0: because it is in, in many ways it's like scavenging for these yes. for these yeah, different
1: sure. elements that you're... Yeah, but sure, we're all magpies now, you know, mm-hmm. um, like magpieing around is the, the 21st century cultural condition, you know, um, there's everything. You're surrounded by stuff. You're surrounded by music and books and literature and poetry and gifs and videos. And, you know, if you're like me, you kind of grew up in a world where you had to seek out particular films particular books and and there just weren't that many of them whereas now we're inundated with stuff and it's kind of turned us all into magpies like we create our own little cultural worlds from all the stuff around us because you can't consume it all um, and that business of creating our own little cultural world from all the stuff around us is has made artists of everybody i think you know everybody curates and creates simultaneously from everything that's around them um, and what I do uh, is no different to that except done maybe at a at a more concentrated uh, and explicit level um, so yeah I think it's I, I'm not I wouldn't say what I do is that unique you know it's, it's just it's part of the world that we live in to, 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 to make sense of the world by scavenging and creating our own meaning that way
0: I love actually that's that's so true but it's if you look at a meme you know it'll yeah. start it'll it'll start as a random image and people together will give it meaning move it around yeah. and it is like and it is just a collection of things and then in a weird way like what is film but a collection of images and stories and and things that have a meaning for different people and I think that's yeah. that's what's lovely about this as well it's it's the the kind of like just a, a real quick glimpse into something that's very unique to a specific culture
1: mm.
0: and a specific time and like just to just to see that and kind of have it presented in this way that's that's very emotive and 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 very sort of almost like dreamlike and in, in 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 that series where you give it meaning as well like you can as the viewer you bring the meaning to it like it's, it's a very interesting watch. Um, how has the what has the response been because I presume it's something that just travels really well because of
1: yeah yeah I mean it's not bounded by culture, culture or language or anything like that so yeah I mean it's it's a funny old year to be bringing out a film um but it's still managed to, to kind of transcend the difficulties of the last 12 months uh, or more um and it's played at festivals all over the place um and the response to lots of awards Ah, sure. Look at um, but the, the the response has been really good. Um, I think it's like I was saying about when I started getting the film funded. There's almost nobody who has a disinterest in the moon or who actively dislikes it, so I think a lot, most people will are willing to go there with it or at least have a look. Um, and if you're willing to let give yourself over to it for a little while, I'm hoping that it will kind of sweep you along. Um, and, and and you can come on a journey with me um of kind of curiosity and wandering through all this amazing material um and come out the other side uh so yeah i think it's i hope that um i hope that it finds people um and continues to do so over time you know i think work like this isn't <clears throat> you know i make i try and make work that can last and um, and i think this particular film um being quite unspecific to the present moment and maybe we'll have a a long kind of life I certainly hope so
0: I certainly hope so I just wanted to ask you about the editing process actually because this is such so heavily dependent on um editing how long did that take and and uh... shape much
1: I mean did it change shape yeah I mean you're it, it's you start with literally nothing on the timeline and you build it up from scratch you know what I mean and I think having just come out of shooting a drama for the last couple of weeks it, what's funny is that when you shoot a drama you're starting the edit with the assumption that some or at least at least some of this material will end up in the film and that's your starting point whereas with a documentary you start with an empty timeline and you go okay so what goes in and it can be anything when when it's a film like to the moon. It can be literally anything. Can be the first thing that goes down, and then it's a matter of finding something that talks to that, and a piece of music that draws out the mood, and maybe a bit of text. So you're just it's it's a little bit like I don't know tapestry or something. You know, you're you're weaving little small bits, and then you join it all together. But you stay in the small bit uh, mode of working for quite a long time. You know, you're making two three minute sections that that work for you. Um, and then you start editing them together and then joining them up and changing bits to make the flow better. Um, overall, ooh, it's, hard to, it's hard for this film to quantify the edit because I was editing right from the beginning. You know, right from the first time that material, was I had found some material or Jack had found some material. I was putting little sequences together and trying things out then material would come back from either stuff that I shot or, or other people shot come back from the lab and you start weaving that into uh, little sections. But then you'd go off to, I don't know, I went to um, Spain, I went to Portugal, I went to uh, a couple of places to film. And, you know, so you would be breaking up the whole process, go off and record stuff, record audio, come back. So it was much more iterative and non-linear in terms of a process than the shoot, edit, deliver sort of traditional process. But I think that's how I prefer to work. You know, if you don't have a, you edit something, you, you decide it needs a shot of blah, 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 and then you go and get that. Um, and then you bring it in and you go, "I was right, or I was expensively wrong. Um, <laughs> and uh, that kind of way of working is far more interesting to me than than the linear process. And I don't think I could work in any other way, really. So, uh, but in terms, like from beginning to end, like
0: but that is because you did most of the editing yourself yeah oh yeah like so you wouldn't have to like just be booked into a space or would you get someone else to cast fresh eyes on it or anything like that
1: um no not really like I I I worked this is the first time that I had an assistant editor and uh, a a young man called Jack Lunt um who's really brilliant uh took on that role and so he and I were working closely together um, but remotely, you know, he was in Waterford, I was in Carlow, and then Claire was in Dublin. And yeah, I mean, those two would be seeing the three of us were kind of the core team for the film, and the two of them would be seeing stuff. I'd show them stuff, but uh, I'm more than happy to disappear into a room on my own for many hours at a time and just edit. Uh, and I edit my own I've always edited my own work. Like, I'm, I guess, editing is my strong suit if I have one. Um, so I'd and editing and sound design i do simultaneously so yeah the film can kind of grow from that and yeah like you're right you don't have to book yourself in somewhere this is very much something that can be done from home Um, like i have a a decent enough setup to be able to to work that way as a lot of people do you know um these days and yeah the way the technology has gone as well like Grade as you go you can mix as you go you know the linear process is really breaking down and and I think that's that's a really good thing because it just means that you're less beholden to um, to, to other people's time and, and expensive machines and all that kind of thing that and, and you can just rather than commit to something and see did it work you can kind of do all that in the safety of your own home and if something doesn't work nobody ever needs to see it that's a really good thing. Uh, you can just bury it so yeah that's that's the process
0: brilliant I like that I like that the answer was no (laughs) just forever I'll be forever editing (laughs) No. on your bio when I was doing some spying online it said Mm. you're working on something that's going to come out in 2022
1: Yep, that's the, that, is this, that is the plan. Um, so part of why I, say, I said I'll just collapse over the line is I've just got, I've finished shooting that um, in the last couple of days uh, over the weekend, in fact. So I'm pretty zonked, um, but in a good way, in a kind of exhilarating way that you get from um, spending a couple of weeks filming something. So it's, a, it's, an, it's another feature um, and it's another feature that draws heavily on archive, but merges that kind of archival essay style with uh, fiction and drama uh, element. So yeah, it's a little bit adventurous and it's my first time working with, in that kind of context with uh, gaffers and art departments and all that jazz actors. Um, but it was it was brilliant I worked with some really amazing people um, and learned a lot uh, hopefully not didn't learn it too late to learn on the job and make the film good but uh, yes yeah, I'll be going into the edit on that film um, maybe just after Christmas or sooner um, and it has to be out next year so can not we work it out
0: so no break there at all
1: <laughs> no but who needs a break
0: uh, thank you so much for chatting with us